Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt. On today's show, we talk with J.M. Dematis. J. We talk with J.M. Dematis. J.M. Dematis. From Austin, Texas, I'm Christopher Schmidt. On today's show, we talk with J.M. Dematis, an Eisner-winning American writer. Having written for DC and Marvel, Dematis has told adventures at some of the world's most iconic superhero characters, Spider-Man, Captain America, Batman, Superman, and many more. He's also crafted his own creator-owned projects, including one of my favorites, a quasi-autobiographic comic called Brooklyn Dreams. We talk more about it in our conversation, but before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. The AccessU Summit is a virtual conference on digital accessibility techniques and policies taking place online on May 18th. Early bird tickets now on sale at accessusummit.com. Make plans for CSS DevConf 2017. Grab the early bird tickets and learn from Chris Coyer, Wes Boss, Mina Markham, Harry Roberts, Sarah Dresner, Estelle Weil, and many more in New Orleans. Tickets are on sale at cssdevconf.com. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by yours truly. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your email. Set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter. Whenever a new show is ready, be notified in your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Of course, you can find the show notes and links discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv as well. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. And as always, thanks for letting people know about the Non-Breaking Space Show. Now, on with the show. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, of your schedule to to be with me on the on the show. I'm glad I uh, I gave myself a reminder because it popped <laughs> up on my computer today. I went, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I better remember that." Okay. You know, it's a it's a weird thing. I, I get these um, invitations. Podcasts seem to come in waves for some reason. Oh, really? And, like I don't I don't talk to anybody for like months, and all of a sudden there's like eight different people that want to talk to me. <laughs> You know, and so I begin. They begin to become this mass of like, which one is this, and what are we talking about? Right. And yeah. So, uh, well, I will say it's you know it's you know it's sort of uh, you know just seeing what other people are doing as well. But uh, I'm I subscribe to the uh, Justice League International podcast because uh, uh-huh. a fan, and uh, they interviewed. You're on the the interview for the uh, 30th anniversary podcast, right. and that was just a great interview, and uh, and uh, just want to. And, and typically, we interview uh, web builders, you know, people who build websites and mm-hmm. uh, technologies with that. But uh, you know, I just, but I also wanted to explore other you know, creatives, uh, talk, talk to other creatives out there, and, and see what they're doing. And and part of that is like reaching out to, you know, other you know creative writers. So and uh, so that's, I was like, yeah, I want to talk to you and see talk about the writing process and talk about uh, your work and see how that goes and. Uh, and uh, it's, that's how I guess that's how it sort of goes. It's just like, hey, you're uh, you're someone who's open to talking on podcasts, and it's like I would like to talk to you and, and ask a few questions, and if you have the time. So that's the thing. That's how it goes. Probably the great, wave yeah. cycles. So yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. And you know, uh, uh, the the more um, how do I put this? The more unexpected the question, the better. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. 
<laughs> the more we can probe areas that 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 uh, not every interview probes, you know, the better it usually ends up being. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can promise that for this interview, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but well, uh, I'll, I'll make up new answers. How's that? That sounds great. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I do try to research as much as I can uh, with the uh, you know the short time I have, but uh, to uh, before for each interview and. Um, and so research this uh, and listen to other interviews that you've done is that uh, I was, you know, you talked about Brooklyn Dreams. Yeah. Worked it, and uh, I'm glad you did because, uh, you know, I just enjoyed that uh, very, very, very well. Um, and I think it's something about your, your the storytelling, but it was just like it, it was very slow in terms of developing. And, you know, and uh, in the opening lines, like, hey, let me just tell you a few lies and that might be true. Uh, type of opening for it and it's like oh, I don't know if this is going to be great or whatnot and it's like and I can tell you by, I think it was like four issues originally I, I bought the the story off of oh, Comicsology online and um, I had to put it down before the last issue and I was like I really don't want to put it down I really want to read the rest of this, the story so I was so engrossed with, with what was going to happen next uh, with it so um, so it was really so I'm really glad great uh, and I just want to I don't want to assume but is it is that a story that's uh, about your life, about your high school, like, like how much was it true, or if it is true or not? Yeah, I mean, it was basically all true. Okay, but, but it kind of the the line that you quote about telling lies mm -hmm. that might turn out to be true, mm -hmm. I did not want to say this is an autobiographical comic because then I had to be tethered to this idea. I have to get it all right. Mm -hmm. I have to get it exactly linear and do this and make sure that that happened on that day at three this way you know i was free to just tell it the way i wanted to tell it right in the end you know the essence of everything you saw there and most of the detail is true but it freed me i think in a way by giving everyone different names to just tell it in a way that didn't chain me you know right. um I, I didn't want it to be like a straight memoir or autobiography i wanted you know and these days, people lie when they write their, you know, that's the <laughs> truth. Anyway, you read it, someone's biography, autobiography, right. and they're just telling you the version that they remember on that day. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it's always about getting to the essence. It's not really about getting to the detail for me. Any great story, it's about getting to the essence. Yeah. And then uh, it, it, that's another thing that was about the story was that the, you kept on hopping around, uh, the uh, the story kept on like hopping around. And so that was a little bit confusing for me, but I felt like that was also uh, part of the story too. Like, you know, we don't, there isn't, uh, you know, there's nothing is a straight line. Like you said, like, it's yeah. Oh. And you know, when you're sitting around with your friends and I really wanted to get the feeling of like, let me tell you a story and you're sitting around with a friend and well, this happened to me and that happened to me, but you know, you always get sidetracked and it's like, well, before I get to that, it just reminded me, let me tell you about this. And then you jump back five years for the thing that may set up the next thing. Mm. And I wanted it to feel that way. I really wanted to have that very natural feeling of, I'm sitting in the room. I'm telling you some stories. Mm -hmm. I may get sidetracked. I'll come back, but they're all going to kind of weave together in the end, you know? Right. Yeah. And I would say I was, I was a little frustrated with that type of uh, storytelling, but I felt like uh, at the, towards the end, it was, uh, it made sense and it was like a good, uh, you know, and I'm sort of like a payoff, but it was just sort of like, okay, this is, you know, it really made me appreciate the story. Uh, oh, good. More towards I'll, the end. I just stuck with it, even if there were parts that uh, were hard <laughs> for you. Uh, no. You know, it's, I, I consider that one of maybe the two or three best things I've ever done in my whole career. Oh, okay. Well, like, well, while we're out there, like what other, like in case people are, are listening, like what other uh, stories do you consider the top three or top five that you've written? So like Brooklyn, 
uh, dreams being one. Certainly Brooklyn Dreams, um, a project called Moonshadow that I originally did for Epic Comics back in the 80s. And then we did a sequel in the 90s and then collected the whole thing together at Vertigo. And uh, we will be actually, by the end of this year, I hope, have a nice uh, brand new hardcover collection with lots of extras in there. Um, oh, is, it, is the sequel called, sorry to interrupt you, but is the sequel called Moonshadow or is it called something? The sequel is called Farewell Moonshadow. We originally did it for Epic. We took the whole thing to Vertigo, did the sequel there, collected it together there. Then we got the rights back from them and we're just in the process of setting it up at a new company for a brand new beautiful hardcover collection um, with lots of extras. Um, I've kind of spent this year making sure a lot of this work that has slipped out of print is back into print again, you know? Right. I just had a, a big collection from Dover Books of uh, another Vertigo series of mine called Seekers into the Mystery. Uh, IDW put out uh, a hardcover of the last one. We've got uh, a Hero Squared Omnibus coming out from Boom and a Stardust Kid Omnibus coming out from Boom. And uh, DC is putting out a Justice League International om- Omnibus in yes. June, like yeah. over a thousand pages. Nice. Uh, so it's nice to get, and then and then hopefully Moonshadow by either the end of the year or early next year. Okay. Um, so it's nice to get all this stuff back out there and keep it in print, because then you find whole new audiences. You know, people that have never read it before, right. and that's always that's always great. That's really great. Okay. But I totally got off the subject there, uh-huh. just like in dreams. Okay. Uh, that's a toy. Okay, that's great. So, uh-huh. so Moonshadow certainly there was a a, a kid a children's fantasy series I did called Abadazad with Mike Plug. Okay. We originally did it as comics for Cross Gen, and then we we did it as a book series uh, for Hyperion Books. Uh, in both cases, it died too soon, and I think it dying too soon is one of the reasons why it remains one of the nearest and dearest projects I've ever worked on. Um, Seekers into the Mystery, as I just mentioned, um, probably my favorite superhero story that I ever did was a creator-owned thing called The Life and Times of Savior 28 for IDW, which is sort of, a, to use an overused word, a, a deconstruction. Uh, it really was a way for me after you know 30-something years of working uh, on superhero stories to really express all my feelings, good and bad, about the genre, you know? I'm very proud of that one. And, you know, I've done so much that it's hard for me to uh, keep track of it all. You know, I mean, certainly my work on Spider-Man at Marvel and all the stuff I've done with Keith Giffen over the years, which I lumped together in, like, one giant body of work, you know? Um, I've loved, and if I had to pick maybe one mainstream superhero story, there's a Batman story I did uh, for Legends in the Dark Knight called Going Sane. It was a Joker story. And that's one of my all-time favorites. So okay. that's just some. And then, you know, there's I'm sure there are plenty I've completely forgotten. And then there's a whole list of them that I never want to see in print or mention again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I won't make you list those out. for. Okay, good. good. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I got a copy of Moonshadow. I have not been able to uh, – I didn't get it in time for the interview to, to research it. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to reading that one. So, okay. and, and, uh, But yeah, definitely will try – uh, catch up because uh, like, that's one of the things like uh, you know as a kid growing up uh who you know went to the comic book store and everything like that it's like uh, i think it was early on realized like you know why does you know you know i you know i'm a big fan of flash and uh you know then pick up uh justice league and whatever it's like you pick you pick you buy comics and you realize sooner or later like hey wait a minute uh why is this why is this story better uh than this story and then you, told, you, know, you find out like oh wait it's the same writer over here on this comic over here. So I think you just started, I just, you know, kind of stopped following uh series and just picked up, uh, just follow writers at that point. And, right. And there's a, there's a point when you're a kid, when you sort of, sort of, sort of gets through, it's like, like real people make this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they don't just appear, right. you know, uh, 
because you know we you know we always fall in love with the characters, but then there's something else when you find that writer or artist that you totally love and just want to get your hands on everything they've ever done. You know, right? It's sort of like uh, I guess I'm picking stocks or something like that. It's like you just like you just uh, you just believe in what what they're doing and and uh, make sure that uh, you read what they say. I guess I'm not sure that's a good analogy, but I'm going to go with that one for now. But uh, okay, I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh cool uh yeah so, so uh, one of the things i do ask you like is um about the superheroes uh in that you, know, you started writing i'm not sure what the first story was but if, if i had to make a guess looking back like the first uh mainstream superhero that you wrote was like captain america in the uh the 70s no, actually, right? you know actually i um i started at dc at the okay. tail end of the 70s okay my first story i think came out in 78 or 79 and um and uh, the short version is, you know, the way you started out in those days, they had the uh, anthology books like House of Mystery, House of Secrets, all those. And so you'd learn your craft writing five-page stories, six-page stories, eight-page stories, which had to have a beginning, middle, and end, character arc, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a great way to learn. And then it was kind of like that was vaudeville, you know, and you'd, you'd learn your craft doing vaudeville, and they'd move you up onto a, a better stage. So maybe you get to write a, uh, a short superhero story. So I think maybe the first superhero story I ever wrote and I'd have to double check, but I think it was like an eight or ten page Batman story mm-hmm. that ran in Detective Comics. And then, you know, I, I started picking up work over there. And then in 1980, uh, Marvel, I, uh, Marvel put me under contract. And that's when I really started uh, pumping out a lot of superhero material. And I think the first books I did over there were Defenders and Captain America. Wow. And I think Marvel Team Up. Those were the three that I started on over there. Yeah. And is it easier to write a five to six page superhero story then is it like a 22 or 20 page you know it's an interesting thing because really the five to eight page story has all the elements that you need for the 22 page story mm-hmm. you know it's actually in some ways uh, harder to write the short one because it's like writing poetry you have to or a song lyric you have to be very concise mm-hmm. um and you want to run off at the mouth and you want to expand that moment and you want to do this that and the other thing but, you know, there, there was some of those stories, not just mine, but everybody that was working in that form, there, there was enough story packed in some of those eight-page stories uh, that, you know, someone today could, like, milk three issues out of, you know, because you, you had to really get a lot of story in there. But when I started, and it was great, because I'm a writer that loves to run off at the mouth, I mean, I had, they were like rules and regulations. Literally, I was told no more than 5.5 panels on a page, oh, wow. no more than 35 words per panel. And I would average my panels and count the number of words <laughs> per panel. And, you know, you said you read Justice League. We're in all that stuff that Keith and I do together. It's dialogue, 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 dialogue with so many, you know, 35 balloons on a page, you know. Yeah. So, um, but in the beginning, it's a great way to learn your craft. And then when you kind of learn the basics, then you can break all those rules afterwards, you know. But it's a great way to learn. Right. And it was a little, I think, overwhelming when I first started at Marvel. And suddenly I'm writing three full-length books a month. I think I was kind of at sea for a few months, you know, before I – really found myself and got the rhythm of what I needed to do. Cause I had been used to working in the shorter form. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't think I did any full length superhero stuff at DC. They were all like maybe 10 or 12 page stories. Cause they had a lot of books in those days that were kind of anthology esque or would have, you know, Aquaman and plastic man in it. So 12 pages of each. Um, but then, you know, then you start working in the new form and, and you figure it out. Well, can I ask like how you got into uh, writing comics, like the the direction to yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, I was a musician for years. I played in bands, song songwriter, singer, the whole routine. And um, 
but I always loved to write. And I always loved comics. My goal was never just to be a comic book writer. You know, when you're a writer, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully you plan to work in, in all different forms and genres. And over the years, you know, I've written for TV and film and, and books and everything. But, I lo- you know, comics was a passion from the time I was a little kid. And basically, I just banged my head against the wall and kept knocking on the door until somebody said yes. And long story short, I, 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 I'll skip all the beginning steps, but I started submitting things to Paul Levitz, okay. who was uh, editing all those anthology books in those days. He was probably, and I'm only slightly exaggerating, 12 at the time. You know, <laughs> The man could barely grow a mustache at the time. You know, Went on to be president of the company. Um, and I still have the first letter that he sent back to me where he tore my plots apart, mm-hmm. criticized my typing. I mean, it was just like completely eviscerated me. But, uh, at the bottom it said, PS, please feel free to submit more, <laughs> you right. know? And when you're a hungry young writer, that's, it doesn't matter. Go ahead, criticize me, tear me apart, said submit more. So I basically just kept submitting ideas until I got a chance to go up to the office one day and meet with him in person. Cause at the time I was living in Brooklyn, DC was in Manhattan and pitched him one story that he liked and from there I that was it i sold my first story and and started selling to these anthology books and before you knew it you know there's a little struggle along the way it took about a year and a half to really get a career going you know mm-hmm. but by like 1979 i was like working full-time in comics for comics like how long was the rejection period like like how like like how long did it take you before they started saying yes like i like <sighs> well you know with paul it was probably six months till till i till i sold up a story okay you know, because I, I, but I just kept sending him stuff, you know, and he kept throwing it back in my face and saying, but it's okay, send me more, which looking back, I give him a tremendous amount of credit that he took the time mm-hmm. to read this work coming in from nobody in particular to sit down, to critique it and to encourage it, you know? Right. And, um, and, you know, that's a great thing and a rare thing. Right. And that's like, I think, uh, you almost say like he's a teacher in a way, like, like he's a, he takes the time, like the special teacher who takes the time and say like, let me tell you what's wrong, but let me lift you up as, at the same time and, and, and give you uh, the guidance you need. Or, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my early editors were just that. They were my teachers. That was comic book college. You know, mm-hmm. I worked with Paul. I worked with a guy named Jack Harris. And I worked with uh, the great Len Wein, who um, became, really became my mentor in the business and, and, and really was the first guy that, that said, you know what? You're just not another one of these guys that walk through the door. You have something, and you have something special, and I want to nurture that. And that was, you know, that was worth a million bucks right there, just to have a writer, an editor of lens quality, uh, take that interest in me. So you, you mentioned uh, is, we're talking about Marvel and, and DC Comics. Is like in terms of writing superheroes, like what what's it like to uh, take over? Not take over, but write for like Batman and and say Captain America. Like in terms of you know. You know, it'd be awesome. Like if someone, like, hey, Chris, you know, go ahead, write, uh, write a story for Captain America or Batman, which is like I tell them I'm crazy because I'm not a writer. But uh, <laughs> is that uh, like how is it to write for characters that are kind of iconic or you know, but still or maybe they're not so iconic, maybe in the the lexicon of DC, you know, universe or Marvel universe, and and to uh, just add, I guess, add a story to that. To you know, that. in the beginning. It's both exciting and totally intimidating, you know, especially if you're following some other wonderful writer that you admire. I mean, my actual first gig at Marvel, as I just remembered, was not a superhero thing. It was Conan the Barbarian. Mm. But 
Roy Thomas had been writing that book for like 10 years. He was the only Conan guy, basically, right. and had done amazing work, you know, for 10 years with Barry Smith and John Buscema and Gil Kane. I mean, just great stuff. And somehow I ended up replacing him when he left. And I just remember being so scared and so intimidated. And that first script, just overwriting it because I was trying so hard to do it right. You know, I did it, tried so hard that I overwrote the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got to do my best Roy Thomas. And, you know, and, and it was very intimidating. And it took me a while to just relax. And then, you know, once you've been doing it for a while, it doesn't become about that. And you worry less about who came before. And, and the real lesson is it's all about the characters. Mm-hmm. It's all about the stories. And really it's about, um, you know, I always say it's like you get a big drill and you drill it right into the top of that character's head and you see what's going on in there. And you look for new places to explore in the psyche. Because I tend to write from the inside out. I'm not someone who usually will go, I have a cool idea for a plot. Yeah. You know, where, you know, I want to, I want to understand the emotions, the psychology of the characters, the spirituality of the characters, and see where that leads me. And that's usually the way with characters that have been around, you know, some of them now would have been around for 75 years, you know, Superman, Batman. So where do you find something new to say? Right. How do you find something new to say? And you really do that. By, by just, you know, getting, again, we'll switch uh, metaphors, getting a rope line and lowering yourself into their psyche, getting out your flashlight and looking for a corner that nobody has explored before. Right. You know? That's the challenge. And that's the fun. And I always say, if I could go back in time and find 10-year-old me and say, guess what? You get to write Superman and Batman and the Justice League and Captain America and this one. My, my little self would just faint. Right. <laughs> you know, it would just faint dead away from, from sheer joy. Talk about writing. It's like you talk about like uh, writing from the inside out. Like, um, and also in the, in the past interview, you talk about like, um, you know, letting the subconscious do the, do some work as well. Yes. And yes. letting that in too. Uh, and I want to just contrast that just, just briefly. I, I do want to hear more about that. If you don't mind talking about your process, but uh, you know, a long time ago, read an interview with uh R.L. Stein, who writes the Goosebumpster right. stories, like, and I was like totally floored because he's like, yeah, it took me a while to figure out my 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 workflow, but in terms of his workflow, he's just like, I just outline everything now, and then once I have the outline, then, then I can write back and and start fleshing it out. And I was just like, wow, you could do that. It's <laughs> just like I, uh, I could, you know, I just, when I try to write a story, I get I get this guy get get stuck and so that. So I just wanted to, you know, it's interesting because I, I was just talking to a writer friend about this this morning. Outlines are great and very valuable, and you should honor them and then absolutely be free to ignore them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you don't want to – an outline is a great thing to build a structure that will guide you. Mm. But you want your story – for me anyway, what I want more than anything is for that story and those characters to come alive. Mm. And if they come alive, they're going to surprise me. They're going to lead me into unexpected places. I often liken it to like you're riding a horse, you know, you get on your horse and you're going, you're pointing straight ahead and going that way, you know, you start to gallop straight ahead and the horse is veering off to the left and you keep trying to force it to go forward and you keep veering off to the left. And if you keep forcing that damn horse, it's going to throw you off. You're going to break both your legs and smash your head, you know? So that's the moment when you go, okay, horse, where do you want to go? And you let it gallop off and lead you to these surprising places. And for me, those are the greatest moments when the story so surprises me, when the characters start saying things that I never expected, when characters that I never even imagined suddenly appear on the page, you know, and that's happened to me. It's a phenomenal feeling because you 
that's the moment when you stop feeling like a writer and start feeling like a channel. And then when you've got all that down, then, you know, that very conscious writer self comes back in to be the editor and, uh, and clean up the rough edges and make sure everything is just right. Mm. But the essence of, of, the, of the creative act really is in letting that horse go. Sometimes it's, I, and I really believe this, that the greatest moments in writing are when you're not writing. Mm. It's when it's all just coming through. Those moments when I wake up in the morning and suddenly there's like literally a movie playing in my head. Mm. And I'm like, well, what's that? Well, let's watch this movie and see what it's about. And then, then it's all I can do to run to the computer and write down what I just saw in my head. Those are the great moments. Or you get stuck. I, I, that's why I love the unconscious and the way the process works. You know, you get stuck on something, and my, as my wife will attest, and it's like, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's supposed to happen. And I'm storming around my room, and I'm walking around the house, and I am so unpleasant to be around. You know? <laughs> and then you go to sleep, and you wake up in the morning, and while you've been sleeping, your unconscious mind has been working on it, and suddenly, boom, there it is. I'll never forget, oh, this is back in the 90s, I was working on one of the, an early version of the Daredevil movie uh, for uh, Chris Columbus, who's a producer, who was the producer on the, the project at that point. And um, I was just so stuck. I mean, I knew what the story was supposed to be, but I could not make it work. There were elements that were missing, and this went on for like days. I was on the verge of like picking up the phone, calling them up and saying, I can't do this. I quit. I can't figure it out. And I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning. I was like, oh, that's what it is. Okay. Boom. And that was it. You know, and that's what I've learned to honor over the years is that that which 98% of the time we identify as writer's block mm -hmm. is just the unconscious doing its thing. Honor it. Get up. Walk away, go outside, take a walk, have something to eat, go play the guitar, do something else. Give your unconscious the room it needs, and, and it will usually sort things out. Now, every once in a while, we're human beings, and life stuff happens in life, and, and we're going through something, and it's just hard to work um, because of the stresses that are going on in our lives. But even with that, what I've learned over the years is the best stimulus for the unconscious and for, uh, for getting the work done under any circumstance is a deadline. <laughs> you know, once there's a deadline, it's funny, the whole process, which if you don't have a deadline, might take you a month. Mm. And if that deadline suddenly says we need it in three days, you go through that whole process in three days and you're done. Yeah. Because you have to. At least if you're a professional, you have to. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's a, was a Stanford study that came out not too long ago that says uh, walking improves creativity. So just you know, getting out and just even walking, uh, I think it was like 60%, your output increases by 60%. That's interesting. I never heard that. That's great. That's really great. I find water helps me if I'm in the shower mm -hmm. or if, like if I'm sometimes I'll just fill up the bathtub and just get in the tub and just I just sit there or sometimes I'll be in the shower and it's like, hey, you've been in the shower for like an hour. What's going on? Because suddenly my brain just opens up while I'm in there and I'm busy watching. I'm not washing or anything. I'm just watching movies in the shower. You know, mm -hmm. somehow the water stimulates the unconscious and the creative process. But yeah, and I would see how walking and being outside mm -hmm. would do a similar thing. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, some about the, sh the shower, just like you just, I think you just get the freedom, just let go, let your, let your uh, brain just uh, worry about the problem at hand. That's great. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, it's, it's great. So I'm constantly amazed by that whole process. It, it, it amazes me just as much now as it ever did, the process of the creative self and how these stories come through. It's, you know, in the end, we can analyze it and analyze it, but I've just given up. And to me, it's just magic. <laughs> and I, I honor the magic as best I can.
Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Just to, to hear that from someone who's been in the business of writing for so long, just because um, I felt like maybe at, at a certain point in your career, just like it should be just wrote, like you know how it's like. Oh, yeah, you need a story about this. Okay, let me just like just write it out. Yeah, yeah. I always say that the 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 beauty and the horror of 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 what I do is that every story it's as if I've never written before. You know what I mean? Because every story is brand new. Every story is a new challenge. So it's, you know, you have certain skills and certain muscles, like you've been in the gym for like, you know, 30 years. So those muscles are built up. But the essence of that story is always, it's always that you're facing a blank page. You're facing a new challenge. And uh, it can be terrifying sometimes because many times I sit down and I go, how have I ever done this? I don't know how to tell a story. What am I doing here? I, I have to quit. I can't do this. You know, that's my neurotic self. But the joy is, Oh my God, I get to start fresh. I, and it makes every challenge the first job. And the first job is always exciting. It's always new. You know, that there's a, a, a Zen concept called beginner's mind. And that's what it is. It's beginner's mind. You always have to treat it as if you're coming into it fresh. You have the advantage of these muscles that you've worked on for years. There are certain jobs that I call plumbing jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, you're, you're handed certain pieces of things and you have to basically put a lot of pipe together to create the story. Um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, and, and that's where I think the skill set comes in, because when you're handed pieces and they say, we want this element and that element and this and that, especially when you're writing in TV, hmm. you're usually handed a lot of pieces of pipe and they say, here's what we want. And then you have to figure out how to put all this pipe together and make it feel fresh and original and put as much of yourself into it. But a lot of it is calls upon your technical skills, you know, um, so, you know, there is that aspect to it, but ultimately every job is the first job. Every challenge is the new challenge and that's what makes it fun. Yeah. I do want to talk about a little bit more about the, like what you call a plumbing job and technical skills, like in terms of, um, in terms of writing for TV, I guess, like, is that, is that the, one of the key differences from writing from, you know, from print to uh, TV is just, it's more, uh, technical skills or, you know, you know what it is, uh, and, and like I said, I don't mean plumbing in a, in a negative way. It's just, right. it's just the phrase that I apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I'm working on a comic book, um, if it's a creator-owned comic book, especially, it's like the freedom is complete. I can do whatever I want, however I want to. And even on these iconic characters over the years, I've been given so much freedom. And ultimately, it's you and an artist and an editor, usually. And and if the editor trusts you, then it's just like, go play, write your story. And if you know if, if you cross that line and you make Peter Parker do that and he's not supposed to, I'll tell you, you know? Mm-hmm. With TV is a much more, and film as well, it's very, very collaborative. So I take off my uh, my personal vision hat, <laughs> and I put on my collaborative hat. And uh, uh, often the case will be I'll get on the phone with two or three people, and we'll start to talk story. And if it's a show that, you know, they're, they've arced out their season, so they know what they want to slot in and what stories they want. They say, well, we have this idea, this basic idea. Why don't we talk about it? What, what can we do with this? And we start to throw ideas around, which for someone like me who spends so much time alone in a room, it's great to be able to do that, you know? So uh, I, I, I don't look at it in any negative way. It's really fun to sit down with two or three really creative, smart people and create story together. And then they say, okay, we just come up with all these pieces here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and now go home and put them together and see if you can make a story out of this. And, you know, sometimes, it's, you know, you have these great conversations. And when you get back and you start to put the pieces together, you realize that a lot of the pieces don't fit and you got to figure out that piece in the middle that connects them, you know? Mm. And then in the end, you also have to make sure it doesn't just feel like a plumbing job, that you bring something to it 
that brings it alive and enlivens it and takes it to another level. You have to pour as be a complete collaborator and yet pour as much of yourself into it as you can. And I've had a lot of fun over the years. Um, you know, the majority I've done live action TV, but the majority of what I've done has been in animation. And there's just some wonderful people working on these shows, and I've had almost uniformly great experiences. And it's really it's a treat for me to have others to collaborate with in a group that way, you know. So it, it's it's been fun for me. It's been really fun. I'm working on right now. Uh, just spent the day. I'm working on another uh, of these DC animated movies. Mm. Uh, this is the third or fourth one I've done, and it's just you know, it's always a challenge and it's always fun. Cool. Yeah, uh, I guess for this interview, I could say like uh, I did research and I rewatched uh, Batman versus Robin, mm-hmm. and so that was good. Yeah, that was actually great. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad. Uh, I have it's on my agenda to watch DC uh, Justice League Dark, but I've not gotten that yet. But uh, but yeah, but uh, it seemed like a a step up from. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Basically, what I'm trying to say it's like I enjoyed the movie because <laughs> I felt like it was a, uh, uh, you know. Uh, I think Batman Year One was a great DC animated movie, but the source material was really was really solid. And uh, Batman uh, Dark Knight Returns is was pretty good, but again, the source material was pretty good. Then other movies are like not so much. Like, so, but uh, it sounds so. Uh, can you talk about what what the next movie is for DC? I can't. No, okay, good. Because uh, right now, no problem, no but, problem. Uh, yeah, I I can't. But uh, I think hopefully it will be announced soon. It's it's a re- it's a really good one though. I'm very excited about it. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, just... Batman vs. Robin was one of the most fun gigs I've ever had. Yeah. Sometimes, it, you know, the, everything just kind of comes together. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, working with those guys, which was um, Alan Burnett and James Tucker and Mike Carlin were the guys that I primarily worked with on that, you know. Mm. All of them are writers. All of them are really, really creative, great guys. And the story came together really wonderfully. The writing process was great. Their notes were great. They appreciated what I was doing. I was appreciating what... And it was just a fun and relatively uh, effortless gig. And it all turned out really well. It doesn't always work that way. you know. Right. Sometimes you work your ass off and it doesn't work. Or, or they don't like what you've done. Or you don't like their notes or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That one just came together so nicely. I really had a great time with that one. Right. Uh, that also goes to uh, another point we'll talk about. is uh, uh, You mentioned in another interview talking about uh, working with, with others. Like in this terms of like working on a comic book, it's like, you know, sometimes when you work with an artist, uh, it just clicks, you know, uh, you know, with, you know, we can point to Justice League as I guess, like, you know, where, you know, Kevin and, and, and Keith working together, uh, it just kind of clicked. And then sometimes you work on a project where you, you're a professional and you work to, you work with well together, but nothing just, you know, that, I guess that, you know, I don't want like, like, I guess pixie dust, if you will, I uh, just never landed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true, and, and, and it has nothing to do with the individual talents of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I, I may work with a really good artist, right. and I think I'm writing a pretty solid script, and somehow when you put them together, there's this second level of click that needs to happen, you know? Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. And other times I'll get the, you know, I'll, I'll, if I'm, say I'm writing uh, Marvel style, which is plot first, I write a detailed plot, the artist draws it, and then I put in the dialogue and captions reacting to the artwork. And I'll get the artwork back, and I'll just see, oh, my God, this guy just has it. Something he, something in my plot sparked something in his soul or her soul, and it's just magical. and It's perfect. And when I'm scripting from their artwork, 
it's it's just effortless and I'm responding every step of the way. And it's like the chemistry between, I always say, it's like the chemistry between two people. Why is it you meet two people, they're both very nice people, one of them you have a conversation with and you feel completely awkward and, and you feel like everything they're saying is zipping over your head and everything you're saying is zipping over their head. And then you start talking to some other person and you're just having the best time and you, you get it and you understand each other and you're both so excited. And that's the way it is in creative collaboration. It's the same thing. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're personally the greatest friends in the world or anything. It's your creative selves that have this chemistry together, you know? And it may be somebody that you talk to, you know, very rarely. And yet, um, and yet somehow when you're collaborating, that magic happens. That certainly happened with us on Justice League. And here we are 30 years later, and, you know, Keith and I still work together. We're talking to Kevin about a project right now. And because uh, when you find that chemistry, you want to return to it as much as you can. It's also like, I, I love the story how, like, uh, with the Justice League, like, you were working on it, and then you said, like, uh, it was too easy. Like, you wanted <laughs> It's like, like, I need to get off this gig. It's too easy. I don't understand. Yeah, that was like, it, 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 that's my illustration of just how, what an idiot I can be. You know what yeah. I mean? Because there's this image of, like, no, no, I'm an artist. I must... I must wrestle with this story. You know, I have to go. Yeah. And that gig was just like, it was so easy. Mm. You know, Keith wrote these wonderful plots, allowed me the room to really do whatever I wanted to do with the dialogue. You know, Kevin's art was wonderful. Andy Helfer was one of the best editors in the business. And I'm like, oh, this, this is, you know, this is so easy. Mm. And part of it, I think, was also like, I don't know. I, it, and because it was easy, I must have somehow felt that I wasn't holding up my end of the deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I wasn't sweating and straining, so maybe I'm not doing some, as good a job as, as I think I should be doing. Yeah, you know? right. and then I just kind of went, "You're an idiot." You know, <laughs> this is such a fun gig. These are such great people to be working with. And then I blinked, and it was five years later, and we'd done like thousands of pages together. You know. Yeah. Well, um, one thing I want to talk about, uh, just get your opinion on it, is just the the nature of the comic industry in terms of then and now, um, and what specifically. Uh, the number of pages, like it's a while, but a few years ago, I'm not sure how many years now, it's the blink of an eye, but, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, I think DC Comics uh, cut down the page count to uh, write two pages for stories, maybe even more. Some of their books. Yeah, some, some, of, some the, of their books. Yeah. Some are 22, uh, some are 20. It depends. But right. that's happened on and off over the years. You know, I yeah. remember, uh, you know, when I was a comic book reader back in the 70s, I think there was one point where Marvel cut the books down to like 17 or 18 pages because wow. yeah. they needed the ad revenue in the seventies apparently was a hard time mm-hmm. of the industry. So that changes all the time, you know, right. and, uh, you know, then you work on another project. It's like, no, we, you know, we, I remember, I think most of the vertigo books were like, were more than 20. I think they were more than 22 pages or you could work it out that you have a 30 page story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, most of the Marvel DC stuff is 20 to 22 pages. Right. The difference between 20 and 22 is not a big difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I can always I can always manage that. You always want extra pages. Let's face it. Right. Um, but you know, if suddenly tomorrow the page the books were seventeen pages, that makes a big difference. You know that that then then you're really going down from like twenty two to seventeen. Okay. But twenty to twenty two, the twenty two just gives you a little extra room to breathe if you want to go big, if you want to go for that double page spread, whatever it may be. You know. Okay. Yeah. It, it could also just be like the. I just felt like uh, when the DC, uh, the new DC happened and they, they cut back the pages, um, I just felt like there wasn't uh, time for a subplot, if you will, like a, some, uh, you know, some sort of way to resonate with, with the plot. And, so that, and I just felt like 
or maybe the you know the comics I was reading just that this didn't feel like the, the stories being written were just like uh, you know I'd, I'd buy this issue and then all of a sudden be like it'd be over and it's like well what happened I'm not really sure what happened here That's, well you know it, is it was that is that the page count or the style of storytelling I mean, you know, there's I have to say there's a you know there's a certain style of comic book writing that's come in in the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years where they like to let the story really breathe, Mm -hmm. which is great. You know, like whether you call it decompressed, you know, I hate to use that word because there's lots of people that do quote decompressed comics and do them really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to hang it on decompressed, but let's just say that they let the story breathe. Mm -hmm. And I still remember a few years ago, I hadn't seen a bunch of recent stuff and somebody gave me uh, a stack of stuff to read. And I was reading this one comic it's a very good comic. Mm-hmm. But what it felt like was I, I got to about page seven and it was over. Except I realized I was on page 20. Yeah. And they had let that story breathe so much that there was about eight pages worth of story in that 20 pages. Mm-hmm. And and that to me is something that's going to really, really hurt your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you want to let it breathe, but you don't want to let it breathe so much that there, that, that you could, you know, that there's so much air in it that the story is just going to evaporate in your hands, you know? Right. You know, I, I came up in a time when story was the thing. And, and, and if I have a problem when I write it, it's that there's too much story in there, you know. But I'd always rather have too much and be able to cut something out and have too little and pad it up, you know. So I think, I think you know, uh, that can be a problem. And, and sometimes, like I said, I, it could be, you know, this is a really good writer. And it's actually a really interesting story. But it's like it's just over so quick. Mm-hmm. It feels like premature ejaculation or something. It's like, wait, wait, what happened? What happened? How is that over? We just started, you know? (laughs) It's the first time I've used that to describe a comic book story. (laughs) Get a first, right? Okay. Well, there there you go. (laughs) I think it's the first person to use that in my my show either, too. So that's pretty good. (laughs) But, um, yeah, because, um, and then also that kind of like a little bit with, uh, with, uh, with, you know, digital comics in terms of being digital comics. And when I say that, it's just that uh, there is no print correlation to it. There isn't a print version of it. Um, you know, one thing, you know, I'm not sure, you know, back in the old days, if it will, uh, you know, with the process that involved the, the, the physical uh, creation of the comic page and then has to be like, you know, you know, taking a taking photo of and, and, and then it would be, I don't know, the right. colorized and all right. that. And now it's all like, you know, they, they can actually draw directly into the computer and all that and, and then there's no sense of worrying about uh you know word balloons like you know like bob was it bob lapin i think his, his name yeah yeah i mean like in justice league like amaze amazing <laughs> like the, the art's amazing the stories were made great and everything like that but like the amount of dialogue being squished into those word balloons like, like and he was to. such a letter and he always did it with style yeah it didn't look crammed he did it he was he was a real artist yeah. a real artist in what he did um well, yeah, well, you talk about that now because with digital lettering and all that, right. um, one of well, one of the great things about all this stuff is it makes a lot of changes easier. Right. So it used to be, you know, you I, you proofread a story and you went, oh god, we got to fix that or change that or whatever. And then you know, the, now you can literally get on the phone with a letterer mm-hmm. and go, can we change it? Okay, we got that. And you know, five minutes, you're done putting all the changes in, right. or I'll you know, I'll send the changes into my editor and they'll have another draft for me to look at like an hour later. Yeah. You know, because they've given the changes to the letter, they've all. Did, you know, once the basic lettering job is done, it's really easy to make make changes. Um, and you know, I know just for me as a freelancer, you know, once upon a time, my best friend in the world was the FedEx man. 
because he brought all the stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're working at home, and you can't wait till the FedEx guy comes because somebody to talk to, you know. <laughs> and and then everything, you know, as everything became digital, you know, the artwork comes to you in an email, the lettering comes in an email. Mm-hmm. Your editor doesn't even call anymore; they just send emails, you right. know. So it, we're all we're all sort of cohabiting a cyberspace, but uh, there's a level where I kind of miss that the 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 tangible quality because in the beginning they used to send me the actual artwork right not even copies wow the actual artwork yeah that i would put a piece of uh of paper on top of and put the balloons in you know right and then send it back to them and then the letter would letter it on those boards you know wow and um but those that was a different time we live in a digital age and which which in the end is a great thing i know for people that Mm-hmm. that want to get their work out there and maybe they're not working for Marvel or DC. Well, anyone can make a comic book now and put it out there digitally. Right. And that's a great thing. And and in, and in music and in all the arts, the line between creator, creation, and audience is as thin as it's ever been. Right. And now, then, if I want to go make an album, I'll go record an album. I can put it out there digitally and promote it and do whatever I have to do. I, you know, I don't need a record company. You don't necessarily need a publisher. If you're willing to put in the work, you don't need any of that. Or how many how many times do you read now that somebody wrote some ebook that they just wrote and published on their own, and the next thing you know, it's it's a hit and, and the publisher comes along, gives them a small fortune for it. Mm. But they did it on their own at first. It was, you know, and they found their audience on their own. And I think that's a very exciting thing right. about the digital world. Right. And that, that's one of the things like, you know, like I said before, like our I usually talk to people who build the web and build sites and apps and stuff like that too. And I'm always amazed by the talents of the people uh, in our industry who are able to build, you know, in this you know, cyber world on, on the, on the world of web. And I just like, wow, it, it, you have all the talents to build a platform or build anything you want and to say anything you want. And you don't need to go uh, work for someone in order to, to build it. You can just build it, uh, build it on your own. And then that's something about, uh, there used to be something called the independence day, uh, in terms of uh, owning your own content and not, um, you know, necessarily posting on Facebook or or other websites and actually just kind of owning what you what, what you build and stuff like that too. So I feel like it's kind of like along the ways of what we we're saying in terms of like owning um, owning your own stuff and, and being out there. How important is it to, to have your own creator own own work? It's important, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is I know for me over the years. I love working on Marvel DC characters. You know, between the comics and the animation, I've had a chance to write almost, you know, almost all of them in one way, shape, form, or another. You know, um, but but if I hadn't been able to go off on my own and do my own material, created whole cloth from my imagination, I probably would have gone crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't have just done that. And it's there's something. Um, about just being able to create your own universe from the ground up. That is the essence of what creativity is, especially since we we deal in these stories that are really tales of the imagination. Uh, To be able to write a Moonshadow or an Abadazad, or I just had a series at IDW called The Adventures of Augusta Wind, to create an entire universe like that is just exhilarating and fun. And, you know, sometimes your creator-owned series may do well, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a crowded marketplace. And it doesn't always do well, but it's okay because just the joy of doing it and the, and stretching yourself creatively by doing that 
uh, it, it, it's that alone, just the act of doing is worth it. And then if it turns into something more, all the better. The other advantage is you want to have work out there that's yours, that you own, that you can keep in print, that you could sell, that you know you're going to make more money on mm -hmm. than you would uh, on stuff that a company owns. You know? But it's, it's for me, like I said, it's always been fun to do both, to have those mainstream characters, to have my creator-owned work, uh, to be able to step into TV work or, you know, and, and to write a book. You want uh, it's, it's always been important for me to just keep it varied, just for my own sanity. Some people, I know, I know I've run into guys over the years, and they just love superhero comics, yeah. and that's all they want to do, and that's great, and I'm not putting it down, but I, it's not me. I can't do it. And uh, I do want to um, talk about uh, the services you provide. You provide uh, one of them is a story consultant. Is that right? Is that the? Yeah, yeah. The, I, have, right? I have a couple of things that I that I that I do. One is a, hmm. a writing workshop, writing for comics and animation called Imagination 101. I've got uh, one of those coming up in June. If anyone is interested, just go to my website, uh, jmdmateus.com, go to the workshop section. And then, and that's working with a group of people over the course of a weekend. It's really fun. And then if people want to work one-on-one, -on -one, I have the story co consultation thing where people send me their work. I read it. I evaluate it. We get on Skype. We talk about it. I give them notes. I help them with their story. And that's really fun, too, because it's very personal. You know, you really get to work with someone in a very uh, intimate way. And for me, it's, it's, it's another way, really, to, to express myself creati creatively and to take all the stuff that I've learned over 30-plus years in this business and apply it and then help, help young writers uh, the way that I was helped by guys like Len Wein and Paul Levitz in the beginning. What type of – if someone was to sign up for the workshop, like what, what's the uh... – what would it look like and what would they expect? And we try to keep it small, so maybe you know six or eight people at most, and it covers both the craft, uh, right? You know, the, really the nuts and bolts of, of the craft and how to develop character and how to develop story and how to deal with editors and all those things, and then also that other stuff that we were talking about earlier, sort of the metaphysical aspects of creativity. So we, I like to cover both, really keep it grounded in in, in that nuts and bolts stuff. And then go off into the far reaches of the universe with the metaphysics. And we spend a weekend together discussing all these things. And then on the third day, what we do is we sit down all together and we create a story together using all the things we've discussed all weekend. So the group will create a story together. That's really fun. We have a great time when we do that. And I'm really just fascinated also by the story consultation services that you provide because it reminds me of you know the stories with Josh Whedon when he was you know. Doing the Avengers movies for Marvel, but his also one of his jobs was also a story fixer upper. I guess I'm not sure the exact title, but uh, but he would actually they would actually like you know he would fly into like you know Thor two movie and like and it's like hey we have a problem with the script because we can't get from this scene to that scene or this scene to that scene and so and then he would just like look at it it's like okay here we go <laughs> let me fix it for you yeah. and, right. uh, and you know this is this is like that but it's not about like me going in and, and rewriting their work. You know, this is about me working with a writer. And when they get to those points, when they're stuck, to make suggestions, to open other doors, open other avenues, to look at their characters and say, you know, well, have you looked at this aspect of their character? Have you looked at that aspect? And if you change that, how will that change your story? How will that make it deeper? How will that make it better? And even down to like, you know, this is really great, but that sentence is really clunky over there. What are we going to do with that sentence? Uh, so it's 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 like that, except I'm not doing the work. I'm I'm offering the suggestions. I'm giving the feedback. I'm offering the solutions.
but it's, you know, it's their story. And I always say, um, you know, take, take, take what I have to offer and only, only, only what resonates with you keep, you know, that, that, yeah. So, so I'm not trying to come across as the ultimate, uh, the ultimate font of wisdom for anything. I want to share what I know and then what resonates with you, use it in your work. And if it doesn't resonate, feel free to disregard it, you know, and if you have your own solution, go for it. But, um, but I really, I really do. I, I like both things. The workshops are fun because of the group energy and, uh, unfailingly, it's just been really nice people that show up for these things. And I've had people come from as far away as Mexico to come and take it here in upstate New York, you know, and then working one-on-one with people is great because I can work with anyone anywhere. And, um, and there's just something we talk about chemistry. There's that personal connection of working that intimately one-on-one with somebody on their story, which is uh, a wonderful thing. I think it's a good point to uh, to wrap it up. But uh, how can people find you on the on the internet? They can find me at my website, jmdmateus.com. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm on Twitter, um, which I, I really enjoy, and, and Facebook. I really enjoy the interaction with people. Uh, I've found it to be 99 and 9 positive and, and warm and respectful and enjoyable. And it's a great way to connect with the people that are re- reading and enjoying my work. So anyone out there who, who enjoys my work and you want to connect with me, those are the ways. And I'm always happy to talk to people. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much for the work you've done and the work you, you are working on. And uh, Thank you. And thanks, thanks. For, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Good to talk to you.